Pod Clubhouse. Hey everyone, this is Aisha with Pod Clubhouse, and welcome back to Podcast of an Ancient Dawn, a Lovecraft Country podcast. And I am back with my favorite two people, Sean and Ashley. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Hey. We are back with episode eight, and this one is called Jigabobo. And we have mm. to say RIP to Mr. Emmett Till. Yeah. Going back to our, what was that, podcast three, when we had, we have to give it up to our, our friend Kenny, who before we had any inkling that this young man in the episode, I think it was, which episode was that? Three or four. Three or four. When they were mm-hmm. in the attic playing their um, Ouija board, and he called it, and he said, that's Emmett Till. With, yes. the bo- with, the, with the bolo tie and blew our minds. Absolutely. Do you remember when he said that? I do remember. Uh, and it, it, it's highlighted in episode three. And I, I picked up on it being Emmett Till pretty early on in episode eight because I noticed a woman, that woman vomiting outside of the building. And it was automatic. It, it was really strange to me that that immediately was like, okay, they're definitely viewing the body because that to me was like the only thing that resonated that could compel someone to vomit like that. Right. Um, and it being such a, gr- a remembering that Mamie Till allowed his body to be viewed as it was, uh, as he was found was very like, uh, it definitely stood out. So I immediately knew that that was Emmett Till we're looking at. The, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, the viewpoint of having it as, um, D's, you know, one of D's best friends. That was a, that was a, it was a great way to, and I mean, there's no great way to show that, right? You know, on, yeah. On, um, I, I was wondering, I wondered why they chose that contextually. I, and Sean might be able to tell us more because he's read the book, but I think maybe to fit him in the storyline a little bit more um, or to compare the age mm-hmm. of D. And, and Emmett, I'm wondering, Sean, what do you think? Emmett Till wasn't in the book, as far as I remember. And it's, okay. now been, it's now been, I want to say, probably close to a couple of months since I've read the book, or at least like six weeks. I'm pretty okay. sure he wasn't in there. What I think is going mm-hmm. on here, and we can speak to this a little later in the episode when we talk about the Lovecraft Country book that Atticus gets his hands on. But Emmett Till wasn't in the book, but these, these um, showrunners have done a great job of weaving this story in between all these civil rights events and, and, and larger American historical events in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating and it's also brilliant how they've, they've managed to, to weave all this in together. It feels, I mean, they did, they did this going back to the beginning of the season. They were weaving this in from the very beginning. They, they've really created a very, complex like structured nuanced way to pull all these things together i mean clearly someone mapped this out well before this show started filming about how they were going to pull all this together and it even be you know surpasses the book which the book of course also plays on a lot of historical events it, it, much of the show so far has been true to the book 
but they've gone above and beyond that. It's just been absolutely fascinating and amazing how well that they've pulled all this together and how mm-hmm. deep they've kind of gone down the rabbit hole with a lot of this stuff. I think Lovecraftian-wise, I think Kenny would be much better positioned to explain how that weaves in. But just from the historical American aspect, mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible. Every episode, just I can't wait to watch it because I'm like, what is next? What else? What other thing are they going to pull in when you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, definitely. This is what makes this show so, so unique, you know, Mm -hmm. and so, because nobody's done this before. If they've done Lovecraft before, it's Lovecraft. If they've done something that's based in the 1950s during the civil rights, they've done that. This this is like unprecedented territory that we're we're in. And so, as somebody said on, on one of the Facebook groups, this creepy ass show, like, in the best way, the way that somebody posed that it was like, I love this creepy ass show. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it is genius. You know, you never know what's coming next, but yet you're also being taught. A le- you're, you're learning while you're mm-hmm. watching this show. You are learning. People are being educated. So bravo right. on them. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Can I just give a shout out to what to me seemed like a straight up Jordan Peele episode? Oh, with- yes. The two demon girls, spirits, I don't know what you call them. They they are they are Piccaninny children, which is like a Jim Crow caricature of black children. Yep. And okay. yes, ex- I, I completely agree with this. Uh Jordan Peele definitely had a touch here. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it just reminded me of his show so blatantly, but it, yet at the same time, yeah, it gives you goosebumps. The yellow eyes. It's the yellow eyes, the fact that they glowed in the dark. Yeah, it kind of made me want to curl up in a ball in the corner. Like, I was like, oh, oh. And I don't usually react like that, but I was like, whoa. It's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, they're making you feel uncomfortable. That's the point. That was, it was the point of the whole thing is to make the um, audience feel uncomfortable. They're trying to show you because this is what white America used to depict black children like, you know? It worked. And this it's almost so like, it's so crazy for to, us to look mm-hmm. at it and think that this is like based on something real, based on something that actually was depicted of somebody that looked like me, looked like you, Ash. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, but to make us feel that like grossed out and weirded out by it just, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It really is. The episode is full of Diana coming to the realization of reality as it is. And the, and the world around her really does open up wide. And we see it first when she has the realization that the smell coming from the building where Emmett Till's body has been laid is because he is decomposing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that moment, it's like, holy shit, like her, her eyes are wide open. And the entire episode where she's being followed by the two Piccaninny children, the two girls, it's almost like she awakens more and more. And, and so it, it just, it's an interesting contrast with the last episode where we saw uh, her mom, Hippolyta's awakening and, and now her realization that this is my reality. Yet she's, she's running from her deepest, darkest fears. And, and, and just the idea that these white cops violated her in a way that caused her to sort of have this realization and awakening was, was extremely powerful. I want to say for me personally, this episode was the scariest Mm -hmm. for me. I was terrified 
particularly with the two with the Piccaninny haunting, which is up what I've named it. Okay. <laughs> it, it gave me it gave me Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. Yes, which is the scariest for me. Like as a child, was the scariest movie ever for me. And <laughs> and also, I I don't know if you guys noticed, but her dress was very similar to the dress that Nettie wears in the color purple. Yeah, I was going to tell you. Yeah, so the whole time I'm thinking about Nettie and how she was, she you know, she had a coming of age moment in the color purple and how she was violated by Mr. or he attempted to and then she had to run away. And so the running and the chasing and just her experiencing this haunting was absolutely terrifying to me. No. I thought it was it was the worst possible combination. <laughs> right. No, I get no, I I agree with you totally. I think the little difference here is that she was cast a spell on, you know. She, they right. they cursed yes. her. Or whatever. Um, like an incantation using the the spit. Right. Right. Yeah. So she's like marked. And I, I at first I was like, I don't know how you guys felt, but I, I assumed that they knew what was going to happen to her, but they actually just marked her. And it was kind of like, whatever happens to you happens to you. It's based on your own inner fears. And so that, you know, and we find that out later, but I, I don't know how you guys interpreted that. I guess I didn't understand that part too. That was kind of like, mm-hmm. I was kind of scratching my head on that one. Like mm-hmm. where was that going? What was the purpose of them doing that. I think the purpose was to get her to do exactly what she did was to come to Lancaster and try to get the spell taken off so that he could be mm-hmm. like, well, I need this. I need the aura. Uh-huh. Ori. 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 No, I'm talking about what. They needed the solar system twerny thingy. <laughs> and he, didn't know, he couldn't get in the house to get it. Uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. He knew he wouldn't be able to actually get to it himself, so he was trying to get her to do it. I think that was their intention. It worked. But it, 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 it angered them. And, you know, Ashley, you speak to the fact that this terrified you. I think it angered me because on this day of all days, when this poor girl's innocence of childhood is ripped from her, when she sees her friend and what's yes. been done to them and realizes that this is what is done to people that look like her. And then on top of that, you have two white cops corner her in an alley, violate her personal space, attack her, scare the living crap out of her, and then curse her. And it like it made me angry. Like, what else are you going to do to this poor girl in a single day? Like, yeah. what more could you do? And, and she doesn't know where her mother right. is. She, her father is yep. Her mother is missing. She, no one will tell her where her mother is. Right. She thinks everybody's lying to her. She's now realizing what happens to black folk, black kids who get out of, quote unquote, get out of line. And then on top right. of all this, the cops who, I mean, she'd probably never been trustworthy of the cops growing up in the South side of Chicago, presumably. But then to see this happen directly to her just angered me for her. And I think we see that anger come out in her later in the episode, but I was angry up front. Like, I was just yeah. like, what the... Yeah. yeah, I guess I guess for me, I, I I don't know. It was so familiar to me in terms of here we go. Another right. black girl, another black body on display mm-hmm. and, and, and being assaulted. And it was just so I, I guess that emotion didn't come out yet because it was more or less. Well, that's basically the system. That's how it works. Yeah. And and the supernatural side of it was what captivated me more. And that's kind of speaking to what Ruby was saying when she had that conversation with Christina about like, you know, yeah. we're sitting 
you sick of it? It's the same thing every day. Do you mm-hmm. even care? You know, I'm, it's, it, you're, you're, we're through with it. But right, that's, right. That, that's that same sentiment that you're just, we're just, they're just tired of. Well, let's move to talk about, um, okay, let's talk about Tick and Letty and their situation that they're going <laughs> in. Kind of, we need to, we need to meld these three into one, into one, yes. even, even Ruby, but Ruby and Christina can be their own conversation but as well. Not Lord. Letty. Let's bring in the fact that after we just spoke about this in the last episode, here comes Gia back into the story. Oh God, I, know. I did not think there she is. I know. I, I said the same did. thing. I, said, I called it. I said we'd see her again. You did. Season, but you did. Not that fast. And then I'm right. still, I'm still a little bit confused. Obviously, they're they're setting this up for something probably in the next couple of episodes. But she came in a gigantic confrontation, lots of emotion, lots of anger. And then they just kind of disappear for the rest of the episode. So I was kind of scratching my head a little bit like... What was the point? What was the point? But I'm sure it was a setup for some subplot that will come up probably, presumably in the next couple of episodes. What struck me, of course, was that she came back so quickly. Like, oh, we were just talking about this. So that definitely stood out. But then when they're sitting at the table and Tick is like, why are you here? You have absolutely no reason... Like. You can't really give me anything definitive. You can't tell me that you saw me die for sure. So why the hell are you here? And when Letty goes, because she loves you, it was like only a woman knows. Like we know. Right. You know, like this is the other woman and they're both looking at each other, calm, cool, collected. And it's just kind of like, yeah, we kind of know our, we already know what it is. We already knew. Yeah. It was only in all, like in my mind, I was like, duh, <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> But it was it was that moment that I I thought was really well written and well done. Like obviously she loves you, that's why she's here. And and then, boom! Like Sean said, she was gone. So I'm wondering that can't be the end of that. That there has to be some more coming in that regard. I'm sure she'll come back. I a part of me was originally my first thought when I saw her was like, why now? Why are you now? But then I thought, well, but Atticus made those couple of phone calls. That's probably what prompted her to go up. Because I was originally thinking, well, wait a minute. Her story took place like five years prior. Why the hell is she showing up now? But mm-hmm. uh, I have to laugh. Just a little anecdote for a second. So Aisha and I watched the show separately. I watched it last night. She watched it this afternoon. And then I'm sitting I'm sitting in my study and I hear her go, oh, shit. I go, I bet you that was when she saw her. <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready. I was, not ready. <laughs> I was like, he comes running in there. He's like, oh, I know what you're going to say. I know, yeah. I know what part you're on. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we will see what will happen with Miss Jiha and her um her wily ways, her uh, nine tail fox ways, <laughs> <laughs> her Camille ways. Her Camille ways. Oh come on! Man. I mean. She really did just break down everything, though, just like that. I, this episode was written very obviously. Did y'all notice that? Like, there were there were multiple points where Tick was just like, this is what it is. And Gia was like, I am this creature, and this is what I do. There were so many very, like, plain and simple, we're going to explain to you what this is. I, yeah. I don't know. That stood out to me. Like, in the writing, there was yeah. no there was no subtlety about it. It was just very clear, this is what it is. Yeah, they were trying to do a lot of exposition, I think. They were trying to just make sure everybody 
It was a little blunt, like you said, a little bit of a blunt instrument, but I think they're just trying yes. to make sure they're making the connections. Okay. Work that's good. Maybe not everybody makes every connection. I mean, I know I don't, but it was a little bit of a blunt instrument, actually. You're right. Well, more specifically, too, when he's sitting with Montrose on the, on the street and, you know, shows in the book that you mentioned, the Lovecraft Country book that he received in the portal. And yes. he's my son. I mean that they they hit us right over the head. I was like, oh wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yeah. oh, what? excuse me, what? Like I had to go back because even though they hit us right over the head with the with it, I thought when I saw George Freeman, I just thought it was George, Uncle George. Me I too. Did not realize that that was. I mean, they dropped they dropped that bomb yeah. real easily. Definitely. Um, and my thinking around that was like, I mean, is this even a good? is this good? Are they just trying to speed it up because we've only got so many episodes left, you know, or is this actually going to benefit us in the long run? I mean, I'm glad that we know, but I guess just the way that it came out in terms of the writing was really kind of yeah. clumsy to me, you know? So basically what are they trying to say that the story, the Lovecraft story is, it's just the story of their family. Well, I think That's what they're, it, or... they're doing is that, well, first of all, first and foremost, I think what they've done here is they set up an end game for the season. Tick has said, mm-hmm. or told him that Christina would sacrifice him in the autumnal equinox, which he said was five days from now. Right. So now mm-hmm. we've set up a time frame and an end game for this season, presumably. Okay. Right. We will right. Okay. The autumnal equinox in the series, a season, sorry, season finale, hopefully not mm-hmm. series finale. And the season finale, we will be dealing with that and whatever comes out of that. And then presumably, if there are additional seasons, which I pray there is, that they'll obviously have to go beyond the book and start exploring new avenues. But I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what was set up for the remainder of this season. Again, one instrument. But now we kind of know where we're heading towards. We've got five days to five go days. Okay. and whatever the time in between entails. So that's that's one aspect of it. And then I think weaving the book in was fascinating because, and I pointed this out to Aisha when I kind of sat with her while she was watching the episode, you know, Montrose asked him, well, what's, what's the story? And he, Tick basically says, well, it's basically the story of what we've been dealing with, but there's some differences like Christina's a man and Dee is a boy named Horace and a bunch of other things that were different in the book and that is different in the book in the book those things that Atticus pointed out are the differences oh that's interesting oh wow interesting so it, it's sort of meta because they're basically mm-hmm. talking about a book in the show that <laughs> the show is based on the book so it's very meta that the way they're doing that because it's true these are some main differences Christina was Caleb in the book Caleb Braithwaite D is Horace. Horace is George and Hippolyta's son. Those are the two biggest differences. And then there's some minor ones. But yeah, the fact that they said that said, whoa, okay, so we're just putting it all out there. I love that they're doing that. Again, they're they're staying true to the book inside the show that's inspired by the book. Mm. <laughs> that sense. That's crazy. Yeah. So do you think that in Christina's plight to gain Im- immortality, Okay. Hmm. I have a feeling, this is my, my, my prediction. I just have a feeling like, I don't know if you trust Christina, Sean trusts Christina. I don't know if anybody trusts her. Nope. You know, just as a viewer or whatever. Not at, not at all. Not Not at all. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, I don't trust, I don't know if people like are generally like starting to trust her. I, no, Ruby is, I I don't 
Yes. Ruby tells Letty about the potion, which is another moment where it's like all this information just comes out suddenly. Right. Um, <laughs> I think Ruby's in love with her. Ruby's in love with that person. And that's the problem. That's what, that's what where we're going to get. There's going to be something like that's the hook. That's the hook right there. You just made me realize something about that. Yeah. You know, I think they're actually, I think they might actually have feelings for each other. Yes. And I think. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to go into the gory detail of it now, but that scene with Christina. Go ahead, yeah. Well, okay, fine. I'm going to dive into it because this scene actually really bothered me. Ruby and Christina had the conversation. Ruby saying, you don't understand what it's like to be a black person, a black woman. You don't understand what it's like to be tied, to be beat up, to be shot, to be tied around the neck with barbed wire, talked to the river. And then she basically goes and pays two guys to do exactly that to her towards the end of the episode. They literally beat the crap out of her, shoot her twice. Tie the barbed wire around her neck, throw the cotton gin thing over the river that causes her to get pulled into the river, just basically imitating exactly what Emmett Till did, happened to him. And then, of course, you know, three seconds later, she pops up perfectly fine, but traumatized for it. I guess part of me saw it for what I thought it was, which was she cares enough for Ruby to try to go through the experience mm-hmm. to understand the kind of... Oh, horror. wow that black people go through. And it actually it just took me till right now to make that connection in my head. Because previously, up until this point, what bothered me about it was like, it almost felt like you're, she's like trying it out. Like you knew she wasn't going to get hurt. She's got incantations. She's, she's protecting herself. Okay. She's going through it just for like, it almost felt like in the beginning, it almost felt like shits and giggles. Like, well, I want to see what this is like. Well, that's easy to say when you could pop out of the river three seconds later. Emmett Till couldn't pop out of the river. You know, mm, he died. Mm-hmm, and it almost mm-hmm. felt like they were making light of it, and I didn't like that. But then now that I've made this additional connection, I kind of see now there's a slightly different perspective on it. But the whole thing kind of bothered me a little bit because I, I was like, I don't want to make light of such a horrific event, especially one that inspired the civil rights movement in the fifties. It's like, it's it's like she's just kind of playing. It's like play acting. I don't think she was playing. I think she truly mm-hmm. has some feelings. And hmm. it's an interesting know, way to go about doing it, though. I know it is. It's very strange. I think she's trying to fake the funk to, you know, put it any other yeah, way with Ruby way. and yep. come off real hard with her. But in the end, she did this on, you know, quietly to go through her own experience and try to connect in some way. So uh, that's why that's why I asked you guys, do you trust her? Because mm-hmm. there's some part of me that's that's like she's not all bad. That, that, that's not all terrible. But, you know, let's see. I saw some, some interesting Judeo-Christian links to how she had herself killed in that way and then rose from the water. Hmm. Um, okay. I, I said to myself, does Christina have to become Christ in order to achieve eternal life? Like, I, I kind of went there with it and that was that's where my thoughts were, went. And I don't know that she has a good streak, like Aisha says, but I think she does have an ulterior motive of achieving immortality. There's something to her dying in that way. And I think it's somehow connected to the notion that in this universe of Lovecraft Country, like the Black characters are the more powerful and they don't really know how much power they possess. Like Snake is the most, you know, and so, and that's, that's, that's you know flipping Lovecraft on its head because Lovecraft would probably turn over in his grave if he knew. So, exactly. I mean, I think it's pretty cool that Matt Ruff wrote the book in that way 
as sort of like a slap in the face to Lovecraft. But like, I think this goes back to that. Like she's trying to achieve something greater in order to reach immortality. And the only way she can do that, do that is to enter into the black experience. And that death was so horrific and it was so awful. I mean, I guess that was her way of somehow, again, going back to what Sean said, connecting. Giving her character some additional humanity because she's been so maybe, maybe. So that's so she seems so like I I I, well, I could go with that. I could go with that. Yeah, I could go with that. Yeah, yeah. It makes her messy. She's always so mm-hmm. perfect, perfectly dressed, mm-hmm. perfectly made up. Her hair is perfect. She's aloof. She almost seems like she's cold. not human. She's cold. She almost seems like she's not human, like she's above human. But I'm sorry. I feel like Ruby is a big hitch in those plans. Yes. Like, I don't think that she they, she expected to mm. feel things about Ruby and vice versa. And I think Ruby's a big, big part in this and is going to play mm. a huge part in these last couple episodes. I agree. I have a big question for y'all about the scene where they're having sex and her skin comes off. Okay, yes. Okay. I just want to know what y'all's theories are around why she came apart, but Christina didn't at that moment. Like they were both doing it. Why is Ruby the only one whose skin is falling off? Right. And why? And you just took the potion. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and I, I know. She okay. just took the potion. I guess. She could have taken it and they could have waited. I mean, could have waited an hour. We don't know. I mean, we can't make that assumption. But to your point, mm-hmm. I, I agree that it's like, well, Christina was already William when Ruby took mm-hmm. the potion. Ruby fell mm-hmm. apart. Why would he slash she still be intact? And I guess, I don't know, maybe it was the emotions. Maybe it was the feeling. Maybe maybe an orgasm triggers the thing to fall, to, to come apart. Who knows? I mean, Ooh, I oh, get, maybe that's it. A little bit, okay. A little bit weird there with that, but it's uh, possible. Yeah. possible. I, I just say that, or maybe they kind of hit you over the head a little bit with Ruby basically saying that she took the potion because she did not want to be a black woman, fucking a white man that day. But then maybe mm-hmm. she, maybe it fell apart because in her head she realizes that who she is, who she is, and she wants to be who she is. Right. Maybe that's why. I, I think you could probably. Hmm go down a rabbit hole with theories on why that happened the way it did. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a question. Or just you know, cinematic. Or just cinematic because somebody needed to pass the special effects budget. No. I, no, I, I mean, mean, no, not, <laughs> not the special effects budget. I'm kidding. For the look, for the whole look of the whole scene, you know what right, I mean? I don't right. know what the... What it the, was nasty. It was so it was, nasty. It was, it was so nasty and raw, but it was so intriguing and you couldn't take your eyes off. It. I couldn't yeah. look away. I did not exactly. look away. I watched the entire thing. Exactly. <laughs> and we're falling off at this point. That's right. Yeah. So the way I answered the way I answered my own question, Sean, you pretty much said it was that she wanted to be herself deep down. Right. So mm-hmm. she became herself again. So I that was the the way I answered it. But I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts were on that. So yeah. Very gross scene though. <laughs> I, I wanna say something and this is gonna sound really crass, say but it, like say it. Yeah, Christina must have some good dick because because <laughs> <laughs> she came apart, honey. She came all the way apart. She split it wide. Oh, she's going keep going through it. Oh, okay. Yeah, she split it wide open for that. Christina, bring it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're right. It was like, you know, you're thinking that everybody's. Thinking yeah, that. you know. I <laughs> that is true. Definitely. So, oh my God. Well, one, one other thing I thought was really interesting. And I don't, I don't know if you guys caught this. I pointed it out to Aisha because I don't think you might have noticed it if I hadn't said anything. So in the church, uh, Letty's there praying, you know, just kind of having her exasperated with God moment. Christina comes in. They exchange words. Christina gives her what I understand to be the Mark of Cain, which is what that burning brand that Letty got when, she, when Christina put that spell of protection on her. How do you know it's the Mark of Cain? I remember hearing somebody make reference to it in a previous episode, Atticus maybe. Right. I almost swear I heard someone okay. use that term, and I can't remember where it was, but that's what sticks in my head. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that's what okay, sticks no, in my no, head. Okay, But then later on, when the cops show up, and old magic what's-his-nuts can't enter the house because it's stuck <laughs> and they decide they're going to start shooting the place up, you see the bullet bouncing off of Letty when she was just sitting there on the couch with that pissed-off face, like, I'm done with this shit. I'm done. And she's sitting there, and the bullets are literally pinging. Off you would have to go look, Ashley, because I did, did you not see know. that. Ashley? I didn't notice. I did. I did see it. Okay. The okay, bullets were bouncing off. I should have noticed. I had to go back. We had to like rewind a couple times. Be like, look, the bullets are bouncing off her hair. Like they are order of protection, which of course segues into Atticus's spell of protection. Which, well, let me go back. And okay. we need to go back because... Okay, fair enough. I'll probably jump in. No, it, yeah, yeah. Because the scene of when the Montrose and Atticus are trying to cast their own their spell and thinking that, you know, they basically didn't do anything. That was a very interesting scene to me because whatever the language is that they all know how to speak from... Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think Montrose is reading it, I'm pretty sure. Yes, but how does he know how to read that? First of well, all, right. Isn't he dyslexic? He's dyslexic. So I'm like, man, you pronouncing it really well, though. Like all of these new words. Oh, I see. But he changed the English. The son, the son of Adam language, or what do you the, said? The language of Adam. Language yeah. of Adam is what I was like. I was like, first of all, how do they know all this? But they just know it. You know, it's the same way that Atticus could translate the being that came through when they went through the museum. You know. Right. The creature, the creature, the, the, the lady, the, the trans lady, the trans person that they encountered. Remember, mm, and, yes. that language you could understand the, what you're saying. Yeah, the two spirit. Mm -hmm. it, yes, the two, yeah. yes, the spirit, two spirit. Right. So they're trying to do that, and I feel like that was very interesting. But it was a good time to see the two of them kind of come back together to figure out how they were going to get through all this. And mm -hmm. so that was that was great to see that they were trying to they're slowly trying to mend and build this relationship that mm -hmm. they were building kind of fell apart a little bit. And now it's coming back, you know, a little bit one by one, trying to talk, talk it out. You know, I don't know if Tick realized that Montrose went through so much dealing with his own sexuality and how he grew up, you know, how he's like, did you cheat on my mama? Did you do all this stuff? And Montrose has explained that it was about survival at that point, really. He wanted a child. They wanted a child. And I and I thought that was a great moment. I don't know about you guys. I just like I all of those, the moments that they shared in this episode were just enough. It wasn't cheesy. It wasn't like, we're all great now. We love each other. And it's, we're going to go, you know, yeah. live in this big house together and raise my grandchild together. It wasn't that. It just was little bits coming together. And I really, I love that about that. About well, and it did lead to the single best quote in the episode. What was that? Montrose. 
He said, I always assumed I'd die at the end of a white man's bullet or a white man's mm. rope. Now that's jazz. Now that's jazz, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like that. It's just, I love that line. I'm going to pull a Lovecraft Kenny thing here for a second. So in my somewhat limited experience of Lovecraft via Stephen King, I can tell you that in the stories where Stephen King has kind of co-opted some of the Lovecraftian themes, a lot of these languages are ancient but pronounceable. Now, of course, they look like a language, all consonants, no vowels, and you wonder how do you pronounce it. And and the story is always kind of, you know, the Lovecraftian theme is always that these languages are older than time. They're older than God. They've been around since the beginning of the universe. But they're also not that hard to read. And you can yeah. read them and you can recite them. So that's what I was thinking about when Montrose was reading that. Because I should make some point like, well, Montrose not So you could read, you're saying you could read it? If it's translated into English letters. Okay. You can pronounce uh, it. You can pronounce it. You can say it. You I'm going to meet Mr. Sean Martin to, incant- you can to uh, have an incantation in this but, but, the, but it looks, obviously the words look like... Uh, and in fact, the way they're spelled, they, they almost look evil. They, they look like, because there's such an overuse of consonants and an underuse of vowels, it kind mm-hmm. of gives this like sinister appearance when you read the words as they're written in, in, in English letters. Obviously, they're written in runes too, but when they're written in English, they look very sinister, which is the point. I'm sure that's probably something in a Lovecraft story. I don't have that level of background in it. No, sure, but what I have read, that's what I've seen. So I think it's, again, one of those things, like, you wonder, like, well, how would Montrose be able to read that? I think because they translated it into English letters, it's pronounceable, but definitely sounded sinister when he was saying it. So yeah. he was saying some nasty stuff. Sorry, that's just a little aside that I was thinking about when I saw that scene. Sean has a new career coming in. And uh, the Sons of Adam language, everyone. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. boy. <laughs> I'm teaching it at Lone Star College Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Come join. Balls. I'm a, here's my Zoom code. OMG. I kid, I kid. Lovecraft 101, everyone. Oh, I will. So, I'm definitely not that good. Sean, yeah. you mentioned that that was the line by Montrose was your favorite line. My favorite line was when Ruby tells that you can't feel guilty for protecting yourself first. Mm, when I tell really, her, I mean, yeah, yeah, that yeah. that line, yeah. I that stood out to me when she told Letty, like, we have to at times we have to choose ourselves, and that's that's being brave too. You know, right. it's, it's right. brave to to center oneself. So I thought that was cool because I mean, oftentimes for Black women, self care is so foreign. So that was a, a good moment between them as sisters too in the story. I felt that one deep deep down. Mm-hmm. Very much. <laughs> well, as the end of the episode comes about, and we got to say mm. that that level of protection... What? No, no, I'm saying what? Oh, I thought you were saying... Well, something. Like, like, what an end it was. Like, what no. an end it was, yes. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, there- that protection that they put on that house, I'm going to have to give big ups to that lady who helped them in the beginning. Yeah, right. Listen, listen. I was worried about... Diana at the end, though, I'm scared for her because that protection didn't seem to penetrate for her uh, or, or make a difference for her because she's she's having this sort of, again, the nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I'm dreaming and it's happening in real life. And it took me back to, to the very first right. movie where, you know, Johnny Depp's character dies in his bed. And it's like you don't see these invisible forces, but they're killing him. You know, it's Freddy Krueger. So the other thing, too, just just side note. um, 
the Piccaninny girls, they have long nails. And that that's also what re- reminded me of Freddy Krueger too. They have these right. long, scary nails. And so they're slicing at her and she seems to come into her power. And we hear that really powerful March for Our Lives speech by Naomi Wadler. I don't know if mm. you the scene where she's walking and, and we hear the speech yeah. about young black girls and the empowerment and this 11 year old girl sort of narrating this moment when like Diana's stepping into her power, but then like she succumbs, it seems like at the end where, where uh, Montrose finds her. And so I'm nervous about that. I'm wondering what, how she's going to end up in, in later episodes. Well, remember when Atticus is learning how to cast his spell, she said, you got to have energy intention in a body. I feel like Atticus is going to be able to heal her somehow. Okay. 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 Um, that gives me like yeah. that's Obviously, right. Dee's not going out like that. Like, I'm sorry. No, she, she's not. She's a fighter. She's definitely out. a fighter. And, and I think this episode was basically her fighting for herself against, like, her worst fears. So hopefully, she'll, she'll definitely come out on top. But as it's over and the, and the police are coming and they're shooting up the house... Cause they can't get in and they can't get what they want, you know? And Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, this is what I'm talking about. How this show like flaps you right when you Ooh. feel comfortable, it just gives you a big <laughs> smack in the face. Like, Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Just wait. Oh, no. <laughs> just wait. There's oh, more. No. The show goth shows up to protect Tick. And I'm just sitting there staring at the screen. Like, wow. Am I the only one who was like rooting for the show goth? Sorry. It was. I but- was. Yeah, I, I was. Know, I may some people, but I was what? like, Why I was it rooting. But it started. The show started with us rooting for the show gods to kill those motherfuckers in the forest. Right, that's true. And well, now it, the show is at, at episode I mean, eight, it, and they're still doing the same thing. And when so. it showed up, I was like, yes! I was like, I almost jumped up cheering. I'm like, yes! Oh man, that was awesome. That was the scene. Like that was the best action scene I I think we've had in a few episodes. So when that thing popped up out of the ground, I just like <laughs> locked my shit. I thought that was great. As much as as much of the magic that we had in this episode, you needed we needed that. Blunt, cathartic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just that one quintessential type scene that was just like, "This is Lovecraft Country." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. Again, we're reminded. We're reminded of Tix. You know, it, it. It took me back to episode one or two when he yep. escapes the castle, basically, and, and yep. he comes out triumphant at the end. And this is yet another triumphant moment for Tick, where we see that. You know, it, it really all comes back to him and, and his authority in that moment and, and with those creatures, with the Shogoths. And, and the funny thing is, even though he's got the authority, he has mm-hmm. no clue he has it. Exactly. That's that's Every the beauty of this. <laughs> yeah. I think he knows, but I think he doesn't no, trust he doesn't. himself. He knows he, he does. has his birthright. He knows he has his birthright, but he does not tr- okay, he doesn't trust, trust it. Yeah. He doesn't trust right. it. He can actually come out because he's never lived a life where that has worked out for him. Right. Right. So exactly. he does, he's being protected at every corner, guys. Every corner. Yes. He's surprised and shocked when he comes out alive every time. Yes. <laughs> I agree. And, like, and that's absolutely right. He has never lived a life where he could trust that he would be okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's wow. been a battle there in his head to, to be comfortable with that. But you're right. He's All true. All true. All true. Yeah. Well, I think that we have come to the I'd say the meat, not even the meat. If we pass the meat of this, the crux, uh, the of, crux this. of this entire yes. 
show, but like, I feel mm-hmm. like I don't even say that because like a true Lovecraft fan, this may not be anything. It we may saw, be. We saw two we, episodes. We left. still have two episodes. It may be like, we are just so, so you just, just wait, just yeah. wait till the end. And then they're going to slap us again. I almost feel like there's sort of a, you ain't seen nothing yet kind of vibe going on here. (laughs) Any predictions for episode nine? Somebody died. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So I I, I think, of course, we're going to have the Letty and Tick moment where she tells him she's pregnant and then he maybe will refer to their future child because they've already sort of indirectly talked about it, but neither of them is told the other one. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. they're going to finally have that come to terms, you know, moment of truth. They'll have the moment of truth. I really do want to see um, what happens with Hippolyta. And, um, oh, yes. I hope back. she's okay. If she comes back, it would be, mm-hmm. it would make more, I guess, you know, Lovecraftian ways, you know, then we could, mm-hmm. uh, it would be more like, well, that's not even, it's, she's inconsequential at this point. But, for the sake of the actual show and the plot and, you know, our investment in these char- in these characters, I want her to come back for D for everybody. Right. And yes. She's, I don't know. I really don't know what to say about, and also our Korean lady and what, what that's going to be all about. I Cause I have a feeling she's going to also be a protector of Atticus in some way. Everybody to protect mm. I, I feel like she's going to protect him in some way, whether she, it, she'll lose her life over it or not. But I feel like mm. she's going to protect him in some way because he keeps getting protected and he didn't even know what's coming. So I'm going yeah. to make a prediction, and this is not based on anything in the book. This is not based on anything I know about. I have not seen any future episodes. I'm going to make a prediction that Montrose is not going to survive the season. And I'll tell you why. It's a very common, I don't want to call it a trope, but it's very common in the hero's journey that when the hero has a poor relationship with his father, usually if it's male, it's his father, if it's female, it's her mother, and then that relationship starts to be repaired, that's usually when the parent dies. The Mm. most obvious example, Mm. Star Wars, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. When Darth Vader finally comes to the good side, it's to sacrifice himself to save his son. I anticipate we might see a similar situation with Montrose and Atticus. I know nothing. This is just me thinking. That's your prediction. My prediction, my feeling, Mm. my feeling is Mm -hmm. that Montrose won't survive the season. I hope I'm wrong because I'm really starting to enjoy his character. I think he brings a lot of a unique perspective to the show, but I just have this gut feeling. But he also alluded to the fact that he's going to do whatever he can. To protect his son. Yeah, so... Yes. I think he's kind of, they've already kind of set that up. Like, I th- And that's like probably where that, I'm getting that from. Take yeah. a bullet for them, you know? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, or literally. Who knows? Right. Anywho, on that side note. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> the show is not like, you know. It's not for the faint of it's heart. It's not for the faint of the heart. But it's, I mean, like I said, it makes us think. It's make, it makes you think. It gives you another perspective on just like flipping things on its head. I mean, I right. don't know what else to say. I'm the person that Ashley and I both came into this like brand new to Lovecraft and all of the terminology. And yes. we are like hooked in, you know, with alternate fingers, like just ready for more. So it's um, true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. And uh, we hope that everybody is enjoying this podcast. We are having a blast talking about this show. And thank you to, uh, you know, all the people who are like, 
contacting us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We're at Pod Clubhouse, and we're hearing some great stuff from people, and they're following along with us. So that makes us real happy, right, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, Love indeed. Yes. All right, we'll be back for episode nine. You guys, do not miss it. We will see you very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.